You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Steve Martin served in the U.S. Army as an MP, or military police. After completing his service, he would become an Arizona State Trooper. Then, 9-11 happened. That moment led him to joining the State Department as part of a team embedded with the military in Afghanistan. During a mission in 2008, he would become wounded by an IED. After a year and a half of going through limb salvage, he would have both legs amputated. For Steve, sport has always been a means to stay active, have fun, and see how far he could push his body. So, Steve, I know you and I have known each other for a little while. So, um, uh, for, for for you know, I typically start my uh, podcast uh, interviews with just kind of a get a get to know you question. Um, you know, how was how was Steve Martin as you know growing up as a kid? Awesome. <laughs> I'm I'm actually in the middle of five boys. Um, played sports, went to school. You know, ran around the creek. You know, that's kind of where we spent our weekends growing up, running around. I, I still think I'm pretty much impervious to everything as far as uh, just because we laugh, but, you know, going around, just walking up to a house, drinking out of, the, out of the hose and knocking on someone's door to get a glass of water. And I, I kind of, I kind of miss that. But then again, I'm, I'm almost to the point now where I don't want to open my door. If someone knocks on it. So I have cameras at my door. Right. But we didn't have that growing up. So we kind of grew up all over, uh, grew up mostly in the Dallas area in Grand Prairie, Texas, uh, went to school in Arlington. Um, from san diego uh, but lived kind of all over and you know a couple of us were born in california a couple born in uh south carolina one born in texas and we lived in all those places um my dad's family's from south carolina mom's family's mostly from louisiana and mississippi but california was where they they were you know kind of it's where mom and dad met um and uh, when dad came home from vietnam um you know mom was just graduating from high school in, in San Diego. So um, kind of grew up all over, but yeah, played sports. I loved uh, my favorite sport was track. I love to run. I always did. I, you know, I love baseball, football, but when you get into high school, track and baseball are at the same time. Mm-hmm. So the only way I could do both or not have to choose one was to run track for the high school, but then play like uh, little league, you know, senior league, whatever you want to call it, little league baseball. So I would run during school and have track meets and stuff that, but didn't play baseball on the weekends. Um, yeah. And I, if, if it came down to it, I typically, if there, if there was a conflict, I, you know, I ran, I ran the track meet. It's only happened a few times, but I ran track. Sometimes there was like an invitational or something on the weekends, but love to run. Um, you know, football was fun. I, I, you know, but I play, I play, I played baseball till I was 35. Um, and, uh, but just, and just enjoyed sports. Um, graduated high school, Worked for a year or two, went to college, uh, hated college. And then one day my brother called me up and says, hey, let's go in the Army. One of my brothers, you know, the, the one that's closest in age to I am, the next oldest. Uh-huh. And um, let's go in the Army. I was going to Memphis State. I was like, all right. So I go down and I enlist. There are no cell phones or, you know, there's no internet back then, at least not mm-hmm. for you know us. And uh, I go to the pay phone and I call him and said, hey, I leave on such and such. And uh, he goes, yeah, I changed my mind. 
<laughs> so he didn't he didn't go now he's been an attorney for like 25 years but um uh yeah it's it was um it was fun because all five of us were, were all five different you know there's we'll argue about stupid stuff and but we'll defend each other about stupid stuff um both parents uh both parents are doing well uh dad's 75 still works two jobs hmm. um you know, it's just been, uh, I, I really, I don't have any complaints. So why, why did your brother change his mind? Well, this uh, I'll, I'll keep it family friendly just because <laughs> he chickened out. He's like, nah, never mind. You know, I don't want to go, you know, the desert storm was looking like it was going to go that way. And, and, um, uh, I think, um, he was going to school and ended up just staying in school. I hated college. It just wasn't for me. Um, and I went and enlisted and, uh, looking back on it, it was great. So, uh, you, you made it sound like it was a, a whim decision, but you know, obviously your dad was a Vietnam veteran. So was there, yeah. was, was there any, any of that kind of just, you know, military tradition in your household growing up? I don't know. I don't know if you would call it a tradition. Um, my dad, both my, both my grandfathers served the entire, the entire length of World War II. You know, they left after Pearl Harbor, didn't come back never stepped back into the, into the United States till the war ended. Mm-hmm. They were gone. They were gone for four years. Uh, dad enlisted, um, went, did three tours in Vietnam. Um, and, uh, came out and he went to work and raised us, you know, with, with mom. And I don't think there was now, you know, dad has some stuff hanging on the walls, you know, some pictures and, um, Dad's got a great picture. It's the it's the picture of the um, the guy leaning up against the the Vietnam wall in D.C. It's a drawing and mm-hmm. um, a painting, and he, the reflection is a soldier on the other side. It's mm-hmm. a guy standing there, in civilian clothes, leaning against the, and it's a great picture. But he's got he's got some pictures and his ribbons and stuff, and he it never did grow up. It was probably in a box somewhere. Um, but uh, now he uh, um, one of the very first things my dad and I did. This is one of the this was one of the, I don't, know, I, I, I don't want to use the word emotional, but one of the most emotional things that's happened to me since I was wounded is um, on my third race as an amputee, my third half marathon, my dad decided to do it with me. He was 65, 64 at the time hmm. and never done one and probably never run anything further than a 5K. And uh, we just, you know, he worked. I mean, he played softball. That was my dad's sport as we were growing up with softball. He played softball for years um and um we wore shirts that identified us you know it said veteran on the on the back it's you know it was um and you know mine uh, had a little army thing his is a navy thing and um that day because you know my dad never he was a, a vietnam veteran he's come back he didn't hear anything and that day there must have been i mean conservatively no exaggeration 500 people to come up and thank my dad for a service hmm. and as a vietnam vet he he didn't know at first it was like a little tough. Like, how do I, how do I react to this? And I think because of my dad and, and all the other vets from that era, that didn't happen to us. They weren't going to allow to have what happened to them happen to us coming back. Right. And, um, and, and, you know, society was different, you know, at the time and I, they thanked my dad. I thought to me, that was, I was emotional about it, I guess is the real word for it. And dad just, you could see him thinking about it because he had never experienced that. And that was one of the coolest things um, since I've been hurt that I've experienced was my dad after over 40 years 
being thanked for serving his country, you know, in a war. So it was kind of a, uh, it was, that was kind of cool. And he, and he was in the Navy. Yes. Yeah, he was. Do you know what, what did he do? Uh, he was a crypto guy. Okay. And, uh, he, he helped everybody talk to one another. He, uh, um, I know when he finished, he was on the enterprise. Okay. Um, and so he, uh, um, he was bummed when they decommissioned it, you know, and it's cause it's being, I think it's being towed right now. No, it's still being decommissioned, but yeah, he, uh, so now he's got like an enterprise thing around the, the license plate of his car. Yeah. And, and he's got, an, he's, we bought him a, you know, a couple of years ago, kind of went on a, a, an eBay enterprise shopping spree for dad's Christmas. Cause he's never wanted it before. And it was like, you know, got him like a, you know, some pictures and he growing up, he had this coffee cup that was, he always drank his coffee cup and it was his from when he was in the Navy, when he was on the ship. And at some point it got broken and I found that exact cup about probably, probably three or four years ago and we gave it to him and he was really excited about that. So. Well, yeah, that's awesome. And, and I, and I think that my father-in-law was a Navy CB in, in Vietnam and, and I think he, he had a very similar uh, situation. He never talked about, uh, you know, the war. He never had any memorabilia until like the last, you know, 10, 20 years or so. So I think, I think it's part of the healing process, perhaps as part of the, obviously, as you mentioned, the welcoming, uh, you know, that we're welcoming home Vietnam veterans. Um, and, and some still haven't been welcomed home probably in, in communities. And, and so I think that that's, that's, you know, and so now he's got a Navy CB hat and a Vietnam veteran, you know, shirt and stuff on the wall. So I think that's it's very interesting to see my dad wear a, a Vietnam vet hat because I never viewed him that way. Yeah. Was dad. yeah. You know? So when you enlisted, what, what did you go in as? I went in as, as an MP, military police. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it was, uh, I, I scored high enough that I had my choice of things, but I was like, I want to, you know, I, I kind of always wanted to be a cop. And uh, not exactly being a cop in an MP, but you know they gotta have they gotta have some ver- their their version of it. And, it's uh, the version, right? It's the closest. It's a version. <laughs> it's a version of a cop. But the uh, yeah, it was. Um, I had a good time. I, I loved being in the military. Um, everyone was shocked when I got out, um, but it was just I had to do it uh, family reasons, and uh, I enjoyed it. I had a great time. And you were in for eight years. Yeah, I did five active, three guard. Yeah. And what kind of, and during your active duty, what, where were you, what were some of your duty stations? Uh, went to, we, we all got lined up to go over to Saudi Arabia and then everything kind of ended and they lined us all up and, you know, we'd already had all our shots and everything, but they, they didn't need us there. There was already like, you know, just tens of thousands of, of everybody over there. So they lined us all up and gave us all new shots and literally walked down the line, Korea, Germany, Korea, Germany, Korea, Germany. <laughs> and I, I went from there to Korea and uh, spent a year over there uh, came back, went to West Point um, as as just as an enlisted soldier, as an MP at West Point, and then from there left and um, came out here and went to Arizona Guard. Yeah. So you uh, you how long were you at West Point for a year or two years? Uh, about three and a half. Oh, three and a half. Okay. Yeah, almost four. And and um, being from Texas, why did you settle on Arizona? We moved out here after my freshman year of high school. And the only thing I knew about Phoenix was Mel's Diner from the TV show, Alice. Uh-huh. I mean, honestly, that's all I knew about Phoenix was the Mel's Diner, which is a real place. And we go eat there in downtown Phoenix. It is still an actual place where they filmed it. Um, it is still a, a, a diner down there. They do breakfast. 
um, that's all we knew. We, you know, we were, we, here we are growing up in, in, you know, the Dallas area in, in, in Grand Prairie and Arlington, um, green and we had a Creek and also we move out here. We're like, it's all brown. <laughs> there's no Creek, you know, there's nothing. And it was, but I loved it here. I, you know, I don't mind the summers summer hit like this week here. Um, it's been, you know, mid low to mid nineties. And I think it was 111 yesterday. It's supposed to be something like 115 on Sunday, which is hot. <laughs> but well, I, yeah. I joke it. I joke it's a dry heat. Yeah, so is my oven. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it, it's uh, I. I just I love it out here. And when I got when I left active duty, um, I came out here and became a police officer. Um, I was a police officer out here for 20 little over 21 years, and it was um, I, I just loved it out here. And and how how long in between those two? I mean, did you immediately like after you after you uh, got out? Was that what you were immediately looking for? Obviously, with because I actually came out and tested um, just prior to getting out. I came out here and did all the testing. I was in the academy five weeks after I left West Point. Okay, so I spent a little over a month in Texas with mom and dad. And this is this is a funny story. I, I while I was down there, I'm I'm waiting for my academy class to start. I went down to the PD where the town where we grew up in Grand Prairie, you know, it's, it's literally halfway between Dallas and Fort Worth. And I walk in there and talk to somebody and I said, well, do you have a degree? And I was like, no, and I said, I've got, um, five years of, you know, actually military and what you have military police. I said, and they said, well, no, you gotta have, you can have two years. And I said, but what about five years? And they said, military police doesn't count. And at first I was a little offended, like, why not? And then I became a cop and I realized why being a military police officer does not count. There's this one, one word that you'll never hear, uh, in the, in the, as being an MP is liability. Um, it's not a thing <laughs> as an MP or it wasn't then anyway. And, but everything you did out here was, was about, you know, you always had to think liability. So you did t- total 21, 21 years as a state trooper. Yeah. And, and, I did, uh, t- I did 18 with the state. I did three with Phoenix. I did my oh, first okay. with Phoenix. The high patrol wasn't hiring when I, when I first got out and I just thought, Oh, I'll go to Phoenix. That's really, I didn't know much else. Cause when I was a kid, when we moved here, I didn't have a license or anything. I kind of in my, you know, my neighborhood or, you know, we were on a, we'd be on a bus to go play football or run a track meet or something. I didn't get to explore the Valley. Plus it had just exploded um, mm-hmm. size wise and population wise in the time that I'd been gone, you know, where the city ended. Uh, when I lived here, it was now the middle, you know, as far as the northern part of the city and the western part of the city, um, they just just kept growing and growing. Now, I think we're the fifth largest population in the United States. So when so your first three years was at the with the city. Uh, the city yeah. yeah. OK. Now, when when in all of that, did you make a decision to kind of go back over? Um, uh, you know, to some of the war war zone or war areas in two and, and why in two thousand seven. You know, after like a lot of guys, I think after nine eleven, you you sit there and think about do I do I go back in because I wanted to. I still wanted to go do something, and you know, I was I had at this point eleven, almost twelve years on mm-hmm. as a police officer, and um. I had the opportunity to go over with the state department to be get embedded back in, you know, in a military unit. And so I, my work actually gave me a leave of absence mm-hmm. um, so I can go over there and um, still, still have my job when I get back, but go over and 
serve and do something and, you know, feel like I'm contributing. And I was there like five and a half months, you know, I was embedded in an, in an infantry unit. Um, and our Humvee got hit by an ID in September of 2008. Uh, I got over there in April of 2008 and, um, that was it. I, uh, my, my, uh, my time over there was five and a half months. All four of us survived. I mean, I, it was, it was a bad day. It was a really bad day, but the, um, all four of us survived. And for that, you know, I'll always be thankful for everybody that got us off the battlefield. You know, I, I, I think you and I've talked about this once. I can't write the guys a check every month that saved my life over there that day. And, um, I have to lead a good life to, um, to earn, you know, this chance that I've been given. Um, it, it was just, um, you know, first I was embarrassed. I thought I'd fallen asleep. You know, the, when the IED went off, it blew me out of the Humvee. I mean, it just blew my door off and blew me out of the Humvee. And when I kind of started to, to wake up, it was, you know, we were, they were still shooting. There was a lot of shooting going on. And I was really embarrassed because I thought I'd fallen asleep. So we've been, we've been hit twice a day before and we caught, um, rockets, all rockets and mortars all night long. We got like an hour nap and I said, we have to go finish the mission we were on. We got attacked yesterday. So we get back in the Humvees, let's load up and let's go. And we didn't make it. And, uh, but I was really, like I said, I was just really embarrassed. I was like, wasn't I just in a Humvee? Why am I, you know, why am I on the ground? What is going on here? And then I looked down and I could see the bottom of my left boot because my left leg, the ID went off right under the, like kind of between the gunner's platform and the Humvee and I was sitting in the right rear and my left boot was up the bottom. I was looking at the bottom of my left boot up around my left hip. My leg was broken, compound fracture, spun all the way around. And um, I thought, well, that's, that's weird, you know? And I remember hearing moaning and, and things like that. Then I realized that it was me. You know, mm. I think back about it, that the, it was actually probably me as I'm starting to regain consciousness. And um, uh, Jose Guillen was the other, other cop. We had two cops, you know, two cops work as a team. He was a Houston cop. He'd been Marine for eight years. And um, he crawled out in the middle of that nonsense and laid on top of me as they were shooting at us and he drug me back and they formed a casualty collection point um, and started treating all four of us while they were, you know, fighting off the ambush and then calling it, you know, calling it a nine line to, to, you know, get medevac there. And I just remember the weirdest feeling we'd seen, we, we passed another team on the way to where we were going. Cause I remember their Humvee, their team was where we wanted to turn but the roads weren't wide enough for Humvees to pass each other. So we decided to go straight. We were the lead vehicle and we made it a couple hundred meters, you know, a couple hundred yards before we got hit. But the, there, we would cover our cruiser weapons, especially the secondaries with garbage bags to try to cut down on how much dirt got into them. Cause you could just rip it off and, you right. had to. and it had a white hefty bag <laughs> over the, over the, the weapon. And I remember as they were loading me up, it was a weird feeling I'm on a stretcher and they're picking me up and putting me on the hood of that Humvee. Cause I looked up and I saw that hefty bag and the guy started asking me questions, you know, name, date, you know, who's president, things like that, trying to gauge, you know, any type of head injury or anything. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to die. This is terrible. Cause there's always this, where we were, there was always a second IED. And I'm thinking, man, if I'm this messed up on the, I'm from being inside the Humvee, what's it going to be like when it hits and I'm on the outside of the Humvee. But they got us down there. We they made a perimeter, called in the helicopter, Black Hawks. They came and picked us up, and um, it was 
you know, I said it was a bad day, but Sean, I can tell you, I, I, I've got, um, I don't have anything to complain about. You know, we survived. Um, I got to be taller, you know, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't hit six foot till I was 40. Um, I was always just a that's, little, that's under, one way to look at it. Right. I was always just a little under six foot. And, um, uh, I hurt, I hurt every day. I broke both hips, all my ribs, except for one, my arms, my legs, obviously. Um, but I'm still here. I get to have fun. I get to do what I want to do for the most part. Um, I got to retire, you know, from the, from the high patrol and uh, I just, I enjoy life. And were you the only State Department in that person, um, you know, person in that Humvee? Or, or, or in the hum, and, yeah, there was two of us in the team, but we had five Humvees. Okay. I, was, I think it was in the third Humvee. Um, and, uh, but we worked as a team and because we, we went over there to help kind of, you know, the, the goal was if we can stand up their police, the military standing up, their army, then we can leave if they can take care of their own security you know, on paper, it was a great idea because all we worked with five different national guard. We had five different national guards, the two of us, civilian cops, two active duty army, a Navy corpsman and a Marine was our team. It was a very small team. It was 12 guys. And, um, uh, except, but except for two, all the national guard guys were cops. So they kind of formed that team so we can go out and work with the Afghan national police and, you know, try to, we weren't, we weren't, teach them in a classroom setting. We're actually out working with them, trying to help them when they interact with the public, the jobs they got to do, you know, because a cop over there wasn't like a cop here. They're not going to accidents and domestic violence and whatever, you know, it's more checkpoints and trying to find the bad guys. Um, But that's, you know, we had to try to try to stand them up so they could, so that we could leave. And um, so it's, uh, it was, it was an interesting job. so, so after that, after that September two thousand eight uh, day, mm-hmm. um, uh, what was what was like rehabilitation like? And where did you? I mean, uh, did you make it your way back here, like to Walter Reed? Or I actually didn't go to Walter Reed. I when they, before they loaded me up on the plane to go to Walter Reed, and I'm a gray area because I went over. I was actually working with the State Department, mm-hmm. so I watched. You know, my I was there. My team all got their 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 purple hearts. I don't get a purple heart. Um, I'm a veteran, but I don't, I don't do anything through the VA because I, the insurance for the, um, state department covers me. And, uh, so like my prosthetics and everything are all done through U S department of labor. And, uh, and I, and I have no complaints. I've been taken care of. I get, if I need work done on a leg or I need, you know, these things, they break, they break down, they wear out just like anything. It's just like any other piece of machinery. And I, I, I just order some new, knee sleeves, you know, and the, and the liners that the, the, the liners go between my leg and the prosthetic is carbon fiber versus skin. Carbon fiber wins every time. So when it starts to break down, you need new liners and, you know, new knee sleeves. So, um, I recovery was, um, it was challenging because I tried to save my legs for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I average a surgery about every three to four weeks. So I was always either recovering from or getting ready for the next surgery or the prior, prior surgery. And then, um, I was never, I was never going to be able to do the things I wanted to do. And, um, but the doctors were very, very hesitant to cut off legs. Um, when I arrived in Phoenix, I went from the battlefield where it happened to Bagram, you know, to Craig, to Craig, you know, Craig army hospital there at Bagram. We, when we let us up on a C-17, we flew over to, um, 
Germany to Landstuhl. I was so doped up on the flight to Germany that every time I closed my eyes, the inside of the C-17 would change. It looked like it was snowing. All the nurses would come over there and ask me, okay, what are you seeing now? It's like, you know, like the little Shriners guys on a, uh, on their little motorcycles riding around in the airplane. I mean, it was some good stuff. I wasn't, I mean, I hurt, but I was too distracted by the snow inside the C-17 <laughs> to worry about it. But um, the other thing is when we got to Landstuhl, it was kind of a sad testimonial that all these young airmen, you know, in the big blue Air Force bus come out to move you from the aircraft into the hospital at Landstuhl. And they were so good at it. You couldn't even tell. I mean, I'm, I've got all these broken bones. I've got IVs and, you know, um, the, I could push the button for morphine and things like that. Um, I, uh, you couldn't even tell they were moving you. Mm. They were so good at what they did with taking guys and moving them from the, from the aircraft to the hospital that it was, it was a, you know, you just, you know, no idea who, who it was. Obviously you never, you're never going to know who they were. Then I had a team all, I think I, one day I'd have an army team. Next day I have a Navy team that were, that were working on you. Um, I went in for surgery basically every day while I was there. And then being a gray area as being, you know, I'm a combat wounded civilian, which there's not a lot. They're, they're out there. Don't get me wrong. I've, I've known, I know several of them, but there's, it's a very, very small, small number. Yeah. Small number. Um, and uh, I decided that I didn't want my family to have to go to uh, Walter Reed, they're going to have to move and, and go there. And that's where the rest of the team went. And then only one stayed there. Um, our driver, you know, our platoon sergeant ended up going up to Fort Lewis and, um, uh, our driver went to Chicago and, mm-hmm. and only one stayed at, uh, Mike Downing stayed in, um, at Walter Reed for like 20, 22 months. He was blown off almost, you know, very tippy top of his thighs. He was, he, he never wore prosthetics or anything. Um, but you know our team got split up basically and and when we left afghanistan we didn't see each other for about three or four years so each you know like one or two but we all got together for a golf tournament here in phoenix in 2013 Hmm. was the first time all of us had been together um before that i'd seen everybody individually but not as a team and then uh so i decided that i wanted to go to phoenix uh to come back here and it was kind of a train wreck, you know, at this point insurance companies are involved because I'm a civilian and now they're arguing over who pays what, when does it take effect? At what point does it stop being covered by this insurance? And now it goes to this insurance and then who's going to get me home. Um, State department bought me a a plane ticket on, on Lufthansa. Now, Sean, remember I'm, I'm laying here. I've got probably three IVs in me. I've got an external fixator on my left leg trying to keep it, you know, trying to get it straightened out. Yeah. I've got, they've had to do, um, I've got compartment syndrome in both legs. So they've opened up, um, they're doing fasciotomies down both sides of both of my left leg. Um, my right foot's about, and I'm not kidding. It looks like Fred Flintstone feet is humongous. Um, just from the swelling in there. And they were and, talking about putting you on a commercial flight, but they, but it was first class. <laughs> so there it was an unusual thing because the the well, i think at that point they'd either dealt with the the civilians that were over there either being all the way dead or a little wounded i was kind of in the middle there i was severely mm-hmm. wounded and and part of me is thinking well how do i get through security i mean they, are they gonna and then 
is the guy next to me going to change out my IV bag on, you know, when I'm sitting on the 747 flying home and do I change planes, you know, somewhere else or is it go? Cause Frank, you know, they don't fly straight from Frankfurt to Phoenix, you know, what's going on here. And, um, my dad ended up, um, forcing the issue and wrote a $116,000 check, um, for a, for an air ambulance and it finally made the insurance company say, okay, hold on, stop, stop, stop. Now my dad doesn't have that kind of money, but he was going to pull retirement and, you know, things like that and get a loan on the house. Where I mean, it was kind of a train wreck because mm-hmm. there really wasn't, there was no real things set in place for guys going through what I was going through that weren't in the military. Cause of course, and the military is fantastic. The military is like, no, we're going to put you on that C-17 fly you to Walter Reed and you're going to be there. You're just another, I was just another patient to them and they were fantastic. There was no, there was no quibbling. There was no arguing. They were just doing all the surgeries. They're going to move me. They're going to transport me. They're going to do all these things. And it was, the military was fantastic. I had an opportunity to go to the Pentagon and actually thank the the people there um, that worked my medevac and got things, actually fixed things and kind of forced the issue. Like when my dad got involved, we landed in, uh, in Greenland. We landed in uh, Goose Bay and then and in Toronto and then home mm. to Phoenix. So it was kind of a roundabout route when they, they changed flight, same plane, but changed flight crews in Canada for the flight, the final flight from Canada down in Phoenix. And then um, walked me into the hospital and rolled me into the hospital in Phoenix. It took me to a different hospital than I was supposed to go to because we obviously made arrangements, but uh, Senator McCain's got got involved in McCain got involved in the medevac and you know friends with whatever doctor whatever you know um director at the different hospital and I ended up not going to the hospital we thought we were going to and I got put to a hospital in Phoenix and they were great don't get me wrong it's still it's a level one trauma center but the doctor who had been assigned to my case I have zero good to say so I'll just leave it at that my mom was out here as my caregiver for two years. My mom gave up time with dad and took took me to every appointment, cooked, cleaned, because I was always having surgery. You know, my mom, I can never say enough good things. My mom has watched me learn to walk three times, you know, because I did walk a little before the amputation, uh, but I could walk. I couldn't go around my block, but I could walk around the house a little bit. Um, I walked through, I walked in to get a haircut once. I thought that was pretty exciting. Um, and, uh, but mom took care of me, but he was just rude to her. Nasty. Wouldn't answer my questions. Just, you know, it was just a, a bother. So went to an, an, another doctor. The doctor I was actually supposed to go to originally. And, uh, my first appointment with him, my consultation was longer than every conversation I'd ever mm-hmm. had with the other mm-hmm. doctor in months and months and all these surgeries. And, um, he said, Hey, we're going to, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get you going. We'll get you fixed one way or another. Um, when I first got to Phoenix, it was funny. When I first got to the original hospital, the one of the surgeons walked in. He was the plastic surgeon because I, you know, saw, obviously I had skin grafts. I was burned all, you know, through my my upper my my waist and my groin and and down my thighs. And so there's skin grafts and everything there. And he was the first one to say, "Has anyone talked to you about amputation?" And my family got pissed. My family was not happy. And they they ran him out of the room, and that would have. Been, and I remember thinking, "Let's do it. Let's cut them off." They're just wrecked. My legs were just destroyed. Uh, my right ankle was basically powder. The day after we were wounded, 
I'm laying in the hospital in Bob room and they come over and they're talking. I was like, I think my right ankle's broken. You know, my left leg is compound fractures. It's in a fix, you know, external fixator and all this. And they um, said, no, no, you're fine. I said, no, I think my right ankle is broken. I'm like, okay, we'll send over. A guy comes over on x-ray, picks my leg, goes, his leg's broken. And they're like, how can you tell? Like, his leg's broken. My foot's just flopping. I mean, it's just, but there wasn't a scratch. There wasn't a mark on the outside of my right leg. What they think happened is when I got blown out of the Humvee, I, you know, I disappear in a cloud of smoke and dirt because of dirt road. But I went flat out the air like a rag doll, according to the one guy who saw me for a split second, is that I landed on that right foot. Luckily, I didn't land on my head. Actually, I might have been okay at that point. But no, the uh, <laughs> my uh, right leg, it just exploded on the inside. But there was no, huh. not a mark, not a scratch on my right leg. But my left leg was, you know, uh, turned 180 degrees. So the 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 doctor was great. Um, all the doctors were great except for the one. But my family, it was all it was, no, 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 don't cut off your legs. So finally, when I went to the new doctor, Dr. Rohr, I, I love him and I'm very sad. So he just moved to Texas and bought a ranch. And and uh, I, I really wish he could just go back to being my dog. But he's, you know, got his own family, you know, damn it. But the, <laughs> um, um, it's tough when you when you have a, an issue like this. It's going to it's a lifetime issue. And now that he's left, it was tough. It's been hard finding someone uh, to fill that gap. I always laugh at my prosthetist. Who becomes, other than your wife, the most important person for mm-hmm. me in, in my world? Um, and I always say, Mike, you can't retire. I mean, you, 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 you can't. You can't. You're retire. stuck. With, you're stuck with me. You're stuck with me. <laughs> I mean, I, I know you've been doing this since 1991, but you can't retire, dude. And. Um, but no, it, it becomes important because if you don't have a good prosthetic, you're not going to walk. So I told Tony, I said, the doctor, um, I said, you got a year to fix me. I, I said, I can't just keep just trying to, you know, this surgery, this surgery, this surgery. And he said, you know, it's totally up to you, but you're as good as you're ever going to get and get, and you're going to, it's just going to get worse, progressively worse as, you know, all the damage in there. My ankles, I, my ankles never moved again. So the only thing I moved below my knee was my two big toes. I couldn't move these eight toes or either ankle. The shoes I had to wear were really big because my feet were still really swollen from all the damage, but they were rocker bottom. They were to, to mimic the motion of an ankle. So they were, they were orthotic shoes. Um, and I, uh, so let's cut them off. So November 3rd, 2009, I, I actually walked into the hospital. We rolled back out and a couple hours later, I woke up and I uh, bilateral below knee amputee. Um, and I just sat there and laid in the bed and moved my ankles and those eight toes like crazy. Cause the nerves are, they're still there, right? There, but they weren't, there was nothing physically. So in my brain, and I can still do it sometimes as I feel like I'm moving my toes and rolling my ankles around. Cause I hadn't done it in, in uh, 15 months at that point. So it was, um, it was, uh, it wasn't a hard decision. And I remember my dad asking me, afterwards he goes aren't you glad you waited i said no i got fat out of shape i mean i hurt all the time could have done it right then and then you know i could have just gone right back to doing what i wanted to do without now trying to do it where i'm just overweight out of shape and i'm I, i'm pumped and just trying to sit upright you know? yeah and i've heard that story a few times in terms of just you know that that um if i would have made that decision sooner right so yeah it's, I, how did how did you get how did you first connect with move united so I, I always loved to run, but I, I never, um, 
I ran like five Ks. I always say anybody who does a marathon, it's just, you know, so I was like, you want to do a half marathon? I said, no, you're crazy. You know, was, oh, a full marathon. Well, you're twice as crazy. So um, three months after I took my first step, I did a 5K. I mean, I walk. I, I didn't run a step. I, I sat down twice to make adjustments to my legs. I'm still at this point, some days using my wheelchair. This is just, just a couple of months after losing my legs, but it was a law enforcement memorial run out here in Phoenix. And it's a 5K, so I did it. it and uh, my next door neighbors um, were both E9s in the Air Force. And he said, hey, our, our squadron, our, our, our flight is going to do the Baton Death March in New Mexico in March. This is July. And when he, when he approached, when Jerry came up, he said, yeah, I think it was like July. I think it was our first training day. And um, so I went out to Luke Air Force Base and met everybody. And I did all my training out there. My first day of training, I, I made it two miles, which was huge for me. But I also wore the 35-pound pack. Mm-hmm. So now here I am, the you know the the older guy. I was older than everyone out there uh, at this point because I'm already 40 at this point. And um, I've got on the 35-pound pack for our first training. Now, granted, two miles and I was done. They had to go get a golf cart, bring me back, or the rest of the guys were walking then come to find out that they were all wearing empty packs just to get used to wearing something. So the air force army thing got a little heated at that point. They're wearing empty packs, you know, just to feel like, you know, how to have something there. And I'm looking, I'm going, what? So anyway, so in March of 2011, um, I took my first steps, my first steps just in general in February of, uh, 10. And I was out of my wheelchair, say, April of 10 and in March of 2011, I did the Baton Death March, which is a full, yep. you know, 26 miles, 26.2 miles. Don't forget that point two. And uh, at about mile eight or nine, I came across, I see an amputee up ahead of me and we catch up to him. I've got four, um, four friends from work, uh, uh, police officers that are, do, are doing the race with me. And um, it's Kirk Bauer. Mm-hmm. So I meet Kirk, who at the time he's retired now is executive director, you know, from yep. uh, oh, yeah. Warfighter Sports. So he gives me his card. It's a whole other story. And um, Kirk and his business card. I always, I always gave him grief for it because he gave it to everybody. Um, and I finished, when we had trained, the longest I'd ever gone, I walked 13 miles one day of training. And we, we did the entire 26.2. It took me 11 hours, 20 minutes, and four seconds. It's a long time to walk, but I mean, I wear, I wear these socks on my, um, underneath my prosthetics and they kind of make up gaps, just a cotton sock, you know, it goes mm-hmm. over my stump. And, um, by the, my leg at that point still wasn't stable as far as the size, it would, there would be a lot of fluctuation. Now, if I, I, I can't remember last time I put on more than one, uh, during that race, when I got done with that race, I had 15 socks on each leg. Mm. Uh, Cause my leg had, was shrinking that much, you know, from the, from the effort, just how much extra fluid was in the body, you know, doing the injuries and stuff, but I have 15 mm. socks mm-hmm. uh, on that. So I got involved. I met Kirk and I actually called Kirk and, um, I, uh, I did my first triathlon. I just trained myself. I went to a triathlon in Hawaii and, uh, I sent him an email and he called me back and we started talking and he said, I'm putting together a team. We want to go climb Denali next year. Do you want to be a part of it? I was like, 
when I don't not want to be a part of it, hell yeah, I want to go, you know? And so I, um, I've never, I, I see snow on the TV. I change the channel. I don't want anything to do with snow. I live in the desert for a reason. And uh-huh. uh, so that is, that is my, uh, that's, huh. that's how I got involved with, with, um, with the organization. And it, it, it was life-changing for me because I didn't know if I would be able to go back to work. I didn't know if, you know, what was going to happen. And I think just by constantly trying to train and get better now, I'm not fast. I'm not a Paralympian. I, I'm a, I'm a good recreational athlete. I just enjoy having fun. Um, I like the travel part of it. I've run races, um, in several countries. Now my goal is to be the first double to do a race in all seven continents. And if it weren't for COVID, I would have actually had, I would have actually accomplished that. And um, the hard, the other hard part about that was when we saved up some money, then I I received the scholarship from Kirk, you know, from, from them when when Kirk retired. Yeah. I was, I was going to mention that you were a recipient of the Kirk. Yeah. And I used that money to buy my plane tickets, my hotels for those races. And when COVID hit and I ended up canceling, they didn't give me, they said, nope, not refundable. You don't get it back. So all that money went for nothing. Mm. Um, they said, no, it's not here yet. We're not canceling flights, you know, cause it was still so new, but I had races in China, Chile and, and Tanzania. And I, I lost, uh, I lost all that money, um, to, to do all those races. And so, um, I'll get there eventually. I hope, um, you know, I'm battling another issue right now. And I, like I said, I love to run. Um, I'm very slow. I, I, but I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy doing it. Um, I don't, you know, there's no races. I say there's no races. We were just out at the the desert challenge a couple of weeks ago and, uh, and watched double amputees and amputees and other people, obviously with other, other disabilities, the blind guys were amazing. The visually impaired folks are fast. And, um, and, but that's just, I'm, I'm not that kind of athlete anymore. I'm, I'm in my fifties and I enjoy doing it for fun just because I want to creates a lot of conversations. I, I can't think of any negative interactions. Um, I really can't, um, it, it gets, it creates a lot of conversations. It opens up a lot of conversations, meet a lot of friends. Um, and just cause I'm retired now, I wear shorts. It takes the, you know, you know, when I, when I wear pants, Sean is when I go to the dinner in New York city, because I wear a suit. Other than that, I wear shorts, you know, um, it's just easier, especially as an amputee. I'm not worried about what someone thinks about my legs or, you know, ooh, but you meet amputees who don't want people to know. And then I respect that. That's fine. But um, this organization made such a huge positive influence on my life. And just from that respect, I get to go do what I want. I get to um, meet people. I hand out, I, I carry my little movie United QR code for when I meet someone and they can scan it and it gives them information. I'll try to, you just have to write things down and, and have them remember, you know, websites and things like that. Now I can just have them scan the, I carry the QR codes in my, um, in my wallet when I meet people and, and, you know, they got the information right there on their phone. Um, kind of got off track there about that. Sorry, but I enjoy from the time. So it's been 11 years since I got involved with the organization and I, I hope I'm able to produce for 11 more. Yeah. And I, and I'm, and I'm glad Steve that you mentioned the recreational part, because obviously there's a, a lot of, I mean, we, you mentioned desert challenge games. So we do a lot of things that are in the competition space and, and, uh, and then, you know, we're kind of a pipeline to the Paralympics, but that's not all that we're about. I mean, we oh, no. want, 
we want folks to be, you know, active and enjoy and having fun. And so the recreational side is always important to remember. And not everyone is out there competing, you know, at, at you know, or, or even wanting to compete. It's just about having fun and staying active and taking care of yourself. So um, uh, we have about time for one more, one more question. So I'll, my, my kind of wrap up question is just what's, what do you see still yet on the horizon for you? I mean, you mentioned still wanting to do, uh, you know, some of the other continents, but what are, what, what is on the horizon for, for you, Steve? Right now, I'm hoping that so since since February since Valentine's Day of 21, I haven't been able to walk more than about 100 yards. Um, come to find out, um, my right femoral artery collapsed last year, and it was weird because I remember telling the doctor something happened inside my leg and I fell down, and I don't know why. It's unchanged. It's no better. It's no worse. So for 16 months now, it'll be 16 months this week. I can make it to the mailbox, but then I have to wait there. And come back. So I'm finally, we're finally looking for what's going on. I'm supposed to have a procedure, hopefully in the next, in the next week to 10 days to go in there. And that will tell me if I get to keep the rest of my right leg or not. According to the vascular surgeon, the femoral artery is no longer viable. We've done two CTs with contrast, two different machines, like four different doctors looking at it. And they don't, they said that my mobility is either I'm, I'm stuck with what I have right now, which is not good, or mm-hmm. I cut off the rest of my right leg mid, up to mid-thigh, which is not exciting, but we, you and I both know many AKs or AKBKs that are successful and happy and stuff. So I'm, I, I'll have to make that decision um, depending on the results of the test next week. I think my goal is still unchanged. I want to run all seven continents. Um, hopefully just as a bilateral baloney, um, they can go in there and fix it. Uh, we'll see what happens, but you know, there's, there's things I want to do. I want to, I, I want to be more involved. I, I guess the word, you know, it sounds kind of cliche, but to give back more, um, the movie night has done a lot for me. The Warfighters program has, I mean, come on, I made lifetime friends, you know, um, got to climb some more mountains with climb Kilimanjaro and, and, uh, was some of the other folks here and, and it's just you've done the great rim to rim the grand canyon and and things and it's it's um i just want to keep going and and basically until i can i i I laugh that you know a few years ago it got really hard for me to get in and out of my car so i got rid of my car i've had mustang since i was 18 i'm 52 now and i got a i got an i got a little suv and i told my wife i said about six months ago i i I got to get another Mustang and do I struggle getting in and out of it? Yeah. But do I love driving that thing? Heck yeah. But that's kind of how I'm looking at at me right now. I want to go until I just can't go anymore. You know, Kirk used to yell at me all the time. You're doing too much. You're doing too much. The surgeon is like, you've absolutely beat your body to death. I've never met an amputee that just goes absolutely as, as, as hard as you do every day. Today I actually told, I told Kelly, my wife, I said, I'm taking a day off. I just, I'm training hard. I just, I, I need to stay healthy and, um, uh, I want to go as long as I can, but I don't want to give back to the organization and, and, and help understand it's not all about competition. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people out there that aren't going to compete. Um, me among them, when I go do a race, I'm not going to race for prize money. I'm going a right. hey, part of the trip is part of the fun, you know, get this experience of stuff, but I want to make sure that people, people know that, it's it's fun 
you know, find a, find a sport that's fun for you and just go do it. You know, my life, it truly went from what, Oh God, what am I going to do now? to what am I going to do next? And I still live like that. I, I what am I going to do next? And, and the question is, Sean, or the answer is, I don't know. You know <laughs> I want to run all my seven continents. I still, that's unchanged. I want to row from, from California to Hawaii. I want to try different things. You know, the mountain climbing, it's interesting, but it's not, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's a lot. Um, and I, um, it's, it's fun while you're doing it, but oof, it's <laughs> tough. It's coming back down the mountain. Um, the, uh, um, I don't know my, I, I was, when I figure out what I want to do next, I'll let you know, you know, we'll do follow up or something, but, um, it's, I want to do something not, not, uh, as some of the guys say, it's not for inspiration porn. It's just to do it. It's for my own well-being, for my own curiosity, or just to mm-hmm. say, the heck with this. I, you know, I, I can still do the things I want to do, and I'm not going to be limited by, uh, you know, technology. You know, let me say, technology is going to help me do it. I'm not going to be limited by my brain not wanting to do it by my mind. Um, sometimes. I've got to let let those two hash it out because sometimes the technology will carry me further than my mind will, and sometimes my mind will create things that the technology is not there for yet. And um, so I want to I want to combine those two things and just see how far I can go until I can't go any longer. Mm-hmm.